But bottom line, you're you're not your Christianity as far as general society deems you or observes you is not based on your knowledge of Scripture. There's a lot of folks that know a lot about Scripture, but they make no profession of faith whatsoever. As a matter of fact, they study Scripture to disprove it. So they know a lot about the Bible, but not for the right reason. So for about 50 years, Hollywood has been teaching us a myth. And I'd like for everyone to listen. Everybody, please listen. This has been pumped into our head for years. That if we could just find the right person, then we could be happy. And it's a myth. Persons, even the right person, is not a source for happiness. I'm going to prove that in just a few minutes. But you may have walked down the aisle at your wedding thinking, buddy, this is it. I am going to be happily ever after from now on for the rest of my life. Would you raise your hand if that's true? I mean, if you've been married more than... We'll have altar service after a while. I've counseled with some of you, so you forgot about that. I know where you're coming from, son. So be, don't be so quick to jerk that hand up in the air. But if you think that finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright is going to be your source for happiness, you're going to be disappointed. People disappoint people. Disappointed people disappoint people. Hurt people hurt people. So the fact is, even the best of relationships goes through ups and downs. And I don't know of anybody that's happy all the time in a relationship. Don't forget, you married a human. Well, there's a few that married angels. You know, those that are always up in the air harping on something. Um, but, but all of us married human beings. People get sick. They don't feel good. They argue. We have misunderstandings. Sometimes we're even inconsiderate towards one another. Sometimes things just don't go right. I found out a long time ago that life is not one continuous honeymoon. Even in the best of marriages, there's still challenges. So some days, to be honest, they're just a complete disaster. And there are signs that you know when it's going to be a bad day, right? When your twin forgets it's your birthday, Kelly. Twins have the same birthday. And when your twin forgets it's yours. Okay, we'll move on. When you sink your teeth into that just amazing steak and they stick in it, that means you have false teeth and they stick in the steak. When your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles, it's going to be a bad day. That means you're really old and there's a lot of candles on the cake. I'm just going to quit the joke thing. Maybe you'll catch on to this one. So when you wake up one morning to discover that your water bed broke and then you realize you don't have a water bed. <laughs> or you put your clothes on and backwards and they fit better, you know. It, 
But whenever we look for relationships, whether it's in a marriage or a friendship, people say, I just want to be happy. That's what everybody says. I just want to be happy. And there's nothing wrong with that. But tonight we're going to talk about something far greater than happiness. What we need in our relationships is not happiness. What we need is joy. Joy is much different from happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. Joy is knowing deep down on the inside of you who you are, where you're going, what you're about. You understand that you're confident in your relationship with God. You have confidence in yourself. You can tell a big difference between people who are secure in themselves. Their relationships are better with people. One of the most one of the greatest signs, as far as I'm concerned, of someone that has an inability to maintain healthy relationships with anybody is because they have a lot of insecurities. There's a lot of dysfunction going on. And so other people are not going to make you happy. You have to learn from within yourself to be that person that God wants you to be and that you have the ability to be. So joy is much different than happiness. Most people think, you know, if only I could or if only somebody else would, then I would be happy. These people have what I call destination disease. Life is not a destination. You you can't think if I could just be with that person or if I could get this job or this car, this house, whatever, then I would be happy. That's destination disease. The Bible teaches... Paul said that I have learned to be content no matter what state I'm in. That's the joy that I'm talking about. We we use the word rejoice often. The Bible uses it a bunch of times. It's just getting your joy back. It's rejoying. It's getting rejoyed. And there's folks here tonight that that needs to happen to. God, I pray that God restores your joy, that you can be content that you have a good relationship with your, with your God and that you also have a, a good relationship with yourself. In life, you'll never arrive. Life is not a destination. It's a journey. The best way I know how to, 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 to describe this is it, it took a while for me to learn that when I started riding a motorcycle. The joy of riding a motorcycle is not hurrying up and getting somewhere. It's the ride. Everybody, can you, anybody can relate to that here tonight, just one or two? You can understand that. It's not where you're going, it's the ride. So this is what you have to understand about when the Bible says that God will give you joy through the power of the Holy Ghost. You don't arrive, but you've learned to be content where you are until that opportunity to be better comes later down the line. And we talked about that this past Sunday. The grass may be greener on the other side of the fence, but the water bill is more expensive. And we need to understand that. It's, it's not always, life isn't always what Hollywood and billboards and advertisements and commercials and even other people say about it. I've learned a long time ago that everybody usually puts on a pair of shoes every morning just like I do. We all have things in common. We all share humanity in common. And no one's life is perfect. We need to understand that. But we can have a complete, contented relationship with God. 
And if we can be content with that, and if we can understand contentment as the Bible teaches it, then we can be more healthy in our relationship with others. You're not dependent on other people to pour happiness into you every day. I don't want to be crude and harsh, but I believe it's really important that people learn how to be contented with or without relationships around them. I think relationships are an added blessing. But I think bottom line, you should strive to be happy and contented within yourself. If you use people as a source of happiness, you're going to be disappointed. And so you'll notice when I said a little while ago that there's no perfect marriage and all that kind of stuff, people change over a period of time. And I would like to ask our married couples here, if you've been married at least 20 years or more, if you had never known each other and you met today, would you still be interested in marrying him or her? We have one. How about that? If you could just meet that person for the very first time today. People change. And I have said from the pulpit, and I don't want to be misunderstood, I don't love Sister Murphy the same way I loved her that brought us to the altar of matrimony. I don't love her in that same way. But I also love her exponentially more than I did that day. And through the years, we've both changed. I think she got a bargain. I mean, I'm almost twice the size that I am now than I was then. There's just more of me, man. I mean, what can you say? But, you know, but people make drastic changes. And, you know, people walk away from marriages and they, they quit decent jobs. And I want to make a statement about the walking away from the marriage thing. I've met and I've worked with married couples for years and, and, and I've coached people, tried to coach people, et cetera, et cetera. And I have seen it happen through the years that people will come to a big crossroads in their marriage and they decide, decide to, to engage the big D word and they're going to divorce. And five years later, if they were honest, they would admit it, that it had been easier for me to have just stayed married to the person I was with. Divorce isn't easy. The kid battle back and forth isn't easy. And then you're going to meet someone else, and you don't know if you're, you are improving that situation or not either until you've been in a relationship with them for a while. I just think sometimes it's better for people to resolve their differences, forgive one another, and just make it work. I don't know of a perfect marriage. I just wanted to say that. But I've seen people quit decent jobs. They switch careers. They move across the country. This is so prevalent in our society today. They build a new home. They buy a new car. They get a great promotion. But what they don't realize is going through all this process of going through drastic changes and walking away from marriages and quitting good jobs and switching careers and moving across the country and building homes and cars and All of that stuff, when it's all said and done and all the smoke settles, they still have to live with themselves. And that's the problem. Oftentimes, it's not because you have a bad husband or a bad wife. Sometimes, you're the problem. And if we could just work on ourselves, if we could just be the best that we could be,
But notice this. Nowhere in the Bible does God advise us to pursue happiness. The Bible doesn't do that. Happiness is not a biblical concept. We've learned that through our culture. As a matter of fact, notice the screen. The word happiness is only used 22 times in the entire Bible. It's not one of those words you read every other page with a lot of cotton candy packed around it. God knows, God knows that happiness is oftentimes a very elusive commodity for humanity. Now you can put an animal out in the middle of an African forest being challenged all night long with with lions and tigers and cheetahs and everything else, and you won't see them take a nerve pill, they don't go see a psychiatrist, they don't do nothing. And their life could end any minute, but they just function right on. People can't do that. God understands that happiness is not always attainable. So the word happiness isn't used often, and it never means, when you read the word happiness in the Bible, it never means what we've been conditioned to think of today when we think about happiness. And the Bible, being happy, doesn't mean having everything go your way. In the Bible, happiness means just being blessed and highly favored by God. Happiness is extremely vulnerable. I've seen people that can be as happy, just everything going their way. Life couldn't be better. They can't even talk to you without smiling and giggling and all that kind of stuff. And 24 hours later, they're the saddest person on the planet. Am I not right? Happiness is extremely vulnerable. Happiness wrapped up in people is insecure because people let us down. Happiness centered in possessions is unsure because material goods deteriorate and depreciate. Happiness based on health is unreliable because time takes its toll on all of us. Happiness grounded in social achievement is unpredictable because a new star eventually eclipses you. Everything we build our happiness on eventually will double-cross us. Even if there is the perfect marriage, eventually, one day, one of those spouses in that marriage will die. Trying to be real. I I, I don't... (laughs) Those of you that know me, I try to be very real. That is why the world is full of cynical and discouraged people. This is why we live in an age of despair. People have tried everything to attain happiness, but it never lasts. Sinners... Unchurched people, I should say, are the most bored people on the planet. That's why they fill their lives with so much stuff. I've talked to people that they said straight up, I can't sit at home on a weekend. I I have to go somewhere. I have to do something. They just can't even sit and, 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 you know, you never stop and smell the roses kind of thing. It's the world we live in, and and, and the church, that that culture, that attitude, mindset has crept into the church. In contrast to happiness, the Bible uses the words joy, joyful, rejoice, over 160 times. Where happiness is only in there 22 times, the Bible uses rejoice and joyful and joy over 160. It teaches us that joy only comes... From the Spirit of God living within us. And here's how it works. 
Happiness is external, but joy is internal. Happiness is temporary, but joy is permanent. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on choice. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on Christ. So I'm going to give you three basic kill joys when it comes to relationships. I'm going to give you three here tonight. Almost any time you're having problems in a relationship, it will be one or more of these three things that I'm about to mention to you. They always kill the joy or the life or the contentment in a relationship. Number one is selfishness. And nobody likes to admit that I'm selfish. I'm a human here tonight. I'm incredibly selfish. I love it when things go my way. And I'm not real happy when it doesn't. Are any of you different from that? Is there anybody else here tonight that just really don't care if life goes your way or not? You know, if your house gets blown away by a storm and your car burns up and you get laid off, it's not a big deal. I don't care, man. That ain't nothing. We all want to have things our way. Selfishness says, I want what I want. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust, your wants that war in your member? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because we ask not. One translation said, where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? They come from your desires for pleasure, which are constantly fighting within you. You want things, but you can't have them, so you're ready to kill. You're, you strongly desire things, but you cannot get them, so you quarrel and fight and do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. That's what the Bible says about selfishness. So the root problem of relational difficulties is the power struggle between two selfish, insecure people. And for a lot of us to solve the relational problems we're in right now, the simple solution is to grow up and stop being so self-centered. Boy, that's hard to do, ain't it? When you go to the mall and shop, when you're shopping, do you ever think about your spouse? You ever think of what would they like and, you know, what, what would make, you know, what would bring a smile to their face when I get home? Or do you go shopping just for you? Something to think about. It's kind of a little litmus test there, if you will. Again, James said, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. One translation said, forever there is jealousy and selfish ambition. There you will find disorder in every kind of evil. In other words, you can't be joyful and jealous at the same time. You can't be joyful and selfish at the same time. Can you? I don't think so. Selfishness undermines relationships, so it's get the focus off of yourself. You remember the story I told last Wednesday night about the lady that won't divorce her husband? She wanted to do it with a lot of revenge. And so the, her counselor said, just go home and start loving him. I mean, doing everything that, that he would love for you to do. And the woman, three months later, fell back in love with the man and stayed with him. True story. It's interesting when you get the focus off of yourself, what happens? The second thing that kills the life of a relationship or the joy of a relationship is resentment. 
Resentment says, I am not going to forgive you. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much you change. I am not going to forgive you. It's, a, it's indicative of resentment. You resent the person. You want to punish the person. We hurt each other in relationships sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. And it's a fact of life. What you do with that hurt makes a difference whether you're joyful or you're miserable. And I know people that can't get over hurt. I'll be honest with you tonight. It takes me a long time to get over hurt. If I feel like somebody's hurt me real bad, if it's, it's Sister Murphy, our kids, or even church people, it takes me a while to get past that. I know people that are non-grudge toters. I mean, you could beat them down to the carpet and they'd pop right back up and say, I love you. And it just makes me want to slap them again. That, that can't be real. I mean, it just... <clears throat> Am I being too honest here tonight? I'm just trying to throw this out here, man. It's, it's what the Bible says. So what you do with that hurt makes a difference between your joyful or you being miserable. Nothing destroys a relationship faster than resentment. Hebrews said, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. One translation said, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, as it, for as it springs up it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. That's what resentment does resentment eats up emotional energy because you spend all your time resenting the fact that someone has hurt you it's all you think about and it consumes you wise man said in proverbs he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart the living bible said the fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left so in other words, if you refuse to forgive, you're only hurting yourself. So resentment steals joy. Resentment undermines relationships. So you have selfishness and resentment. The third thing you have is fear. Fear says, I don't trust you anymore. I can't trust you anymore. When fear builds up in your life, the joy goes out of your relationship. The wise man said in Proverbs, the New King James Version, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So fear causes us to build walls between us instead of bridges. You build walls instead of bridges. We're full of fear. There, there's no emotional intimacy, and when there is no emotional intimacy, there's no joy. The Bible said again, New King James Version, 1 John, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's no insecurities. There's no resentment. There's no selfishness. It's perfect love. It's, it's love that's just embodied and encompassed in joy, that contentment. I'm not being insecure. I'm not being negative and so on. Fearful people cannot give love and cannot receive love because they're always afraid of being hurt again fear does three things to relationships number one fear makes me defensive i won't admit it when i'm wrong it's fear it's indicative of fear i'm not going to admit that i'm wrong of course i don't have that problem so i you know when you're always right <laughs> just ask sister murph it's right <clears throat> fear makes me distant Fear says, I'm not going to share my real feelings with you. Fear makes us demanding. 
It means that I always have to be in control. These things are, are signs of fear. So if you're struggling in a relationship with somebody, you may want to give this some consideration. So, by the way, these are the three basic feelings that will interfere with our relationship with God as well. Selfishness, resentment, and fear. So most people try to do something to bring happiness into their troubled relationship, but that's only a temporary solution. What your need is, is joy, and that only comes through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Only God can give the kind of joy that's necessary to sustain healthy relationship. Humanly speaking, we are wired to receive But the fruit of the Spirit rewires us to give. And we have to understand that. One translation of Acts 20 says, Remember that our Lord Jesus said, More blessings come from giving than receiving. Apply that to your relationship. Apply that to your marriage. Next time you go shopping, go shopping for your spouse and see what happens. And if they take it all back, don't get your feelings hurt. You did your part. See, I don't don't like stuff with strings attached. That's that's why I don't like for folks to give the church with strings attached to it. Once you drop your tithe or offering in that offering receptacle, your part is done. Everybody said amen. And God will bless you. You did your part. That's, That's the sum total. When you get on pastor's side of that, receptacle then you're meddling in business that's not yours well i want to know how my money's spent well since when god blessed you for giving it so leave it leave it if i'm evil with your money god will take care of me will he not and he don't take care of evil people real quickly most oftentimes he does not look at king saul god let him reign for 40 years as an idiot he did. Did he not? Yes, he did. Okay. That's a little lanyap right there. So the first key to joy in a relationship is you've got to focus on somebody else rather than on yourself. The problem is as relationships grow and after we've got them established, we stop putting as much into that relationship as we did at the very beginning. We think You give a relationship all you've got till you get the person. And once you say, I do, I love the story of the man that told his wife, I'm going to tell you one time that I love you. If it changes, I'll let you know. That's great, ain't it? That just builds all kind of good stuff in a relationship, right? Try that and let me know how it works, right? That's right. (laughs) Amen. So as relationships grow, you still have to put a lot of effort and a lot of energy into that relationship. Just because you're married don't mean you quit. Or just because you establish a relationship with someone at church doesn't mean you quit putting work and effort into that relationship. And there's going to be bumps. Y'all know that. There's going to be bumps and what have you along the road. But oftentimes we wonder what happens to our wonderful relationship that we had with somebody 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Well, did you have you continued to put as much effort into that relationship, or do y'all just walk, 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 walk all the time? Somewhere along the line, you 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 have to stop and reset. 
hit a reset button. And I know that's easier said than done, but if you've been married for any length of time, especially if you've been married and with church relationships, you have to do that. One man said one time, when I, when I used to come home, my wife brought me slippers and my dog came barking. Now things have reversed. <laughs> so joy doesn't come from making me happy. Joy comes from me making other people happy. And we have a hard time to do that. We live in a very selfish, self-centered culture. Any self-help magazine you read has very little in it about helping other people. It's all I can do to help me. It's all about me. And that culture swept the church. We don't like to sing songs anymore that don't have me in it somewhere. I mean, if you take me out of a good Christian Sunday morning song, we don't like it too much because we got to be included. It can't be all about Jesus. That's, we have to be in there somewhere. You get the point. But I want to say again that joy doesn't come from making me happy. Joy comes when you start making other people happy. One popular myth goes like this. When I get all my problems solved in this relationship, then I'll be happy. You'll never be happy. It's not going to happen. Life is simply a series of solving problems. If the only time you learn to have joy in your relationship is when you've got all your problems solved, you're never going to have joy in your relationships. You must learn how to have joy even in the middle of problems and circumstance. Remember, happiness is based on happenings but joy is based on pouring yourself into the lives and hearts of other people that's why the bible said about jesus he endured the cross for the joy set before him not what he would get out of it but what he could do for tens of millions of people by empowering them with the spirit that's what gave him joy and it still does so you say, I'm exhausted in this relationship. I don't have anything left to give. I'm burnt out. I'm saturated. That's why you need Jesus on a daily basis. That's why you need his power to give you joy when human energy runs out. The Bible said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice, Paul said. So how is it possible to always be joyful? Paul wrote this statement in philippians chapter 4 verse 4 rejoice in the lord all win again i say rejoice he wrote that when he was in jail as a matter of fact the book philippians in the new testament paul wrote it he wrote it from a prison cell and it contains the word joy more than any other epistle that he wrote and he's in jail and he's teaching people about joy is he happy probably not but he's still joyful because he's still pumping Jesus into the lives of other people by writing this letter. And I don't know that he had any idea that 2,000 years later people would still be talking about it. That's the power of joy. It's when you're giving of yourself and pouring yourself into God, into your relationship with God and your relationships with others. If you're depressed, go home and read through the book of Philippians. You'll note the words joy and rejoice are used time and time again. And keep in mind, he's writing this from a prison, being accused of something that he shouldn't have been in jail for. All he was doing was preaching Jesus. So in conclusion tonight, the Old Testament uses several different words to express joy and rejoicing. 
That is an, an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. The first means bright and shining. It's a word joy. Uh, again, the Hebrew and Greek has far more words and letters than we do. But the first Greek word I'll share with you tonight means bright and shining. It, it, it's literally the eyes of a child. The Greek language is very picturesque. It, it paints more of a picture. It uses literal things to define what it's talking about. And in this particular case, the joy, of the, the, one aspect of joy as listed in the fruit of the Spirit is being bright and shining as the eyes of a child. The second one is, means leaping for joy. It's the lame man at the temple. I mean, when he was raised up on his feet and they were healed instantly by Peter and John, he didn't stay on the suicide page of his life. He didn't stay on the poor me side of his life. You know what I just thought of and I've never thought of it before? The Bible didn't say, I don't think, Now I'll need to go read it again and some of you scholars may can correct me. Boy, wouldn't you love that. But I'm not sure he received the Holy Ghost, Brother Billy. He was just healed. And all of his negative thoughts about life went away with that one miracle. I hope he was filled with the Holy Ghost later. But I'm not sure it says he was filled with the Holy Ghost when that happened. Brother Wheeler, I don't know. But he got a whole lot of joy out of that miracle. And he started leaping for joy. He started leaping because he wanted to show everyone else what Jesus had done for him, and maybe that would spill over on them. That's joy. It's pumping yourself into the lives of other people. And then the fourth means spinning for joy. We preached about that several Sundays ago. Our sweet sister Dean Dykes, I've got that picture buried in my brain. It took her a little while. But she made her circle. And it's okay, man. It don't matter if you can do it in one second or if it takes you an hour. Part of rejoicing is spending for joy. God himself in Zephaniah 3.17, if you have a chance to read that. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save and he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. It means God is spinning in a circle over you. So this joy can only be yours through the indwelling power of God's Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The psalmist said, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. When I don't have joy, it's a warning light that I don't have God's presence in my life, and don't ever forget that. Jesus said, Until now you've asked me nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full, again, God-giving. So all you have to do is receive the Holy Ghost and maintain it. I believe that's what Paul meant when he said, I die daily. I maintain the power of God in my life every single day. When I make you as mad as a hornet and I hurt your feelings, go home and pray through the Holy Ghost and just stay full of the Holy Ghost. And don't worry about me. I don't like that solution. i got to be mad at the pastor at least for two days. Maybe before Wednesday I'll get it worked out. 
Well, whatever you think, but I'm giving you a solution to joy in your life. And it's bottom line, taking the focus off of you and putting it in others, including your marriage, your kids, your parents, your church, God. When life is less about you and more about others, you have great potential to be a very joyful person. Thank the Lord. So right about now, I am really ready for a Diet Coke float. Amen. It could even be Diet Root Beer float or a Diet Dr. Pepper. Just take away them few calories and carbs and all of that. Go ahead and add the extra salt. That's all right, the sodium. But uh, anyway, let's go get a Coke float. What do you say? Is everybody good with that? Well, if y'all not here, we'll turn to another scripture. I mean, (laughs) God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. A very unorthodox dismissal. But let's go have some fellowship and some joy next door. God bless you tonight.